One of my favorite preachers, the late Fred Craddock, once said, On your way to Bethlehem, you really must stop and hear John the Baptist preach. Well, that's what we're doing this morning. Our text is about John the Baptist. It's from the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter. I'm going to read for you the first 11 verses of the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter. In those days... John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. And the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these very stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In our house, our two oldest children are girls, and our youngest is a boy. My oldest daughter was recently home for Thanksgiving, and she was recalling how much trouble she would get into when she was about four or five years old. And she would come quietly into my room in the middle of the night and stand there beside my bed, silently waiting, not wanting to wake anyone up, but wanting for someone to be awake. It's a startling way to wake up if you're the adult in the bed. But it is nothing. It is nothing compared to the presentation that my nine-year-old son can make in the middle of the night. Stomping down the hallway, bursting into my room, roaring, Mom! I need you. St. Augustine wrote, The Lord is the word that was in the beginning, and John the Baptist is the voice. The Lord was the word that was in the beginning, and John the Baptist was the voice. The word in the Gospels is introduced in a quiet, unintrusive way, but the voice is different. John the Baptist has a completely different introduction. John is a Jewish prophet, and he stomps onto the scene in the Judean wilderness. He is by no definition quiet or gentle or soft-spoken. His presence is sudden in the third chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It's almost unexpected, and it is most definitely intrusive. Ray Vanderland teaches that the description of John the Baptist is not to tell us how strange or odd he was, but it is instead 
to remind us of the prophet Elijah. In 2 Kings, the first chapter of 2 Kings, the king is asking messengers to describe to him what the troublemaker Elijah looks like. And this is what they say to him. Elijah has a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. That's exactly what John the Baptist is wearing. John the Baptist is, in fact, dressed in his Elijah suit. So if his entrance into the scene doesn't startle you, his costume should. The Jewish tradition, as it's spelled out in the Hebrew book of Malachi from the Hebrew Bible, understood that Elijah would return on the day of the Lord, the day that God would begin to set everything straight. So John the Baptist bursting into the scene here in the Gospels is a message that says, look out, here it comes. The book of Malachi is found in our Bible as the last book in our Old Testament. So I want to read for you the last two verses from the prophet Malachi. He wrote this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Those are the last words in our Old Testament. Luckily, our Bible doesn't end there, but in the early on, in the very next book of the Bible, the Gospel of Matthew, the great and dreadful day has arrived. John the Baptist, dressed as Elijah, He's the new Elijah appears. And later on in this very same gospel in Matthew, Jesus will say about John the Baptist, he is the Elijah who is to come. John's message in chapter 3 of Matthew is very simple. Repent. The kingdom of heaven has come near. I was reading a book on silent retreat this week by a pastor named Nadia Bowles-Weber. It was kind of a tricky book to read on Silent Retreat because she was a stand-up comedian before she was a pastor. (laughs) So it was hard to be quiet while I was reading it. But in that book, she defines the kingdom of heaven as the dream that God has for the world. I really like that, that the kingdom of heaven is the dream that God has for us. What John the Baptist is saying, what he is preaching, is repent. The dream God has for you has come near. One of the dreams that I have for my children is that they would be compassionate people. That they would notice and care for people who are around them, who are in need. And I can vividly remember those days, those instances When that dream comes in, breaks into my reality, when that dream comes near. When Claire, my oldest, was in seventh grade, 
her English teacher called me to tell me that she had brought her Nintendo Game Boy to school and she had given it to another child. So 10 years ago, those Nintendo Game Boys, they weren't cheap toys. So I appreciated that the teacher called me to tell me that Claire had done that. The teacher went on to tell me that she had given the Game Boy to a kid who either had lost his own Game Boy or had somehow gotten it stolen, and he was scared that he would get in trouble when he got home. The teacher went on to tell me, she said, you know, Mrs. Shelley, this is a kid who doesn't have a lot of friends. I think he copes with middle school with electronics because he doesn't have the friendships that you need to get through junior school. It's not an easy thing, right? So when I hung up the phone, my reaction was just to exhale. Because my feelings were a mixture of excitement and relief. Ah, she's getting it. What I know to be true about her, she's realizing it. That dream is coming near. John the Baptist is telling people at the Jordan River, that the dream that God has for them is rolling out in a really clear way. So he calls them to repent. Repent, he says, throughout this passage. Now, if the word repent in your mind is equivalent in any way or is it connected in any way to the word grovel, we need to straighten that out because that's not what repentance is about at all. The Greek word repent literally means to turn around 180 degrees and go the other way. So in this case, John the Baptist is calling us toward the kingdom, toward God's dream. So I I have been watching this year a lot of football, not intentionally, but it's because my nine-year-old watches it on television, so I watch football with him. And while I can't tell you the names and the statistics that Daniel could stand up here and tell you about football, I can tell you that when a quarterback wants to throw a ball to a receiver, the receiver doesn't have much chance of catching it if he doesn't turn around. You can't even do one of those fancy one-handed catches if you're not looking at what's coming your way. You have to turn around. You have to change course just a little bit to receive. Repentance is like that. Repentance is changing course to receive from God. Now, repentance is not a physical activity. It's an inward activity, and it takes more than just a moment, a momentary adjustment Repentance is an inward activity where we rethink how we're going to live, where we rethink our strategy for a living, now that we understand that God has a new vision for us. Now, as I was standing down here worshiping this morning, I noticed that I had my sweater on backwards. Look at that. Tag is in the front. Maybe you already knew that. I don't know. But this is one thing that I need to turn around 180 degrees. (laughs) I know there are other things in my life, inwardly, that I need to turn 180 degrees. And I want you to think about those things in your life also. Where is it that you need to turn to receive from God? I want to use this passage to think about how to do that. 
How do we repent? How do we turn 180 degrees, especially during this season, this Christmas season, this December, when I don't know about you, but I feel like something's chasing me all the time. (laughs) I feel like I'm running all the way through this month. So I want to know, how do I turn as I'm running? We hear in this passage that John the Baptist is, in fact, the prophet that Isaiah spoke of. And the reference that comes from Isaiah is in chapter 40 of Isaiah. Uh, Chapter 40 begins with these words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So all of that chapter in Isaiah was really spoken. It was sung to provide comfort, to provide consolation to God's people who have been carried into exile. Um, Even as they have been carried away, it is as if the prophet is telling them, God's glory is going to be revealed to you. Prepare yourself. God's glory is going to be revealed. So the exact part of Isaiah 40 that's quoted in Matthew 3 is prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. We need to prepare the road. We need to prepare the path because the king is coming down the road. The king's coming down the path. So straighten the path. Make sure that you have access to see God's glory. Uh, so the questions that I have from this part of the passage in Matthew 3 are things like, do I have a good view of what God is doing during this time in my life? And if I don't have a good view, what is it that I am doing to get in my own way? Those are the kinds of things that I want to check out. The end of the 40th chapter of Isaiah uh, says this, Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You've probably heard that passage spoken. It's often spoken in funerals or memorial services. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Well, I wondered this week, what exactly does it mean to wait on the Lord? And I I happened to be, as I was wondering that, uh, talking to my father. And so I asked him the question, and he compared waiting on the Lord to being waited on in a restaurant. You know, what we are used to in my house is going to a really fast-paced restaurant where uh, the waiter will stop by the table and and just kind of interrupt conversation and say, need anything? Is there anything I can get for you? Let me know what it, what it is. But while the, while the waiter is tending to us, he's tending to ten other tables and also to what's going on back in the kitchen and probably to the host or hostess or the manager of the restaurant. That's a completely different scenario to what I used to see a few years ago on Downton Abbey. Remember how they waited on the table at Downton Abbey? How they waited on the table in Downton Abbey um, was that they stood there in the background. They never left the scene. And those who were waiting on that table attended to the family and the guests seamlessly. That's how I want to wait on the Lord. I want to wait on the Lord attentively, attentive to what God is doing, and then joining in seamlessly where I can. And for me, for a lot of this season, that means dropping some extra activity. At the same time that I want to encourage you to pay attention to what God is doing, to be attentive to what God is doing, I need to warn you that that's not all that you need to do. 
That's not the end game. Watching attentively is not the only thing you need to do because the group that receives the most criticism from John the Baptist is a crowd that is, in fact, watching very closely. They're watching very attentively from the sidelines, from the banks of the Jordan River. It's the scribes and the Pharisees. To the scribes and the Pharisees, John the Baptist says, You brood of vipers. It's like he says, What are you looking at? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. So it's not just watching and engaging what God is doing, but it is engaging in what God is doing in such a way that my life bears fruit. That there's fruit in my life that reveals to the people around me that God is good. Uh, I have a new um, clementine tree that sits just outside my kitchen window. Uh, It's very little, but its leaves are green. And, well, as of yesterday, it was really appreciating the rain. I don't know how it's going to look when I get home today. But on this clementine tree, there's no fruit yet. It's just a little tree that sits outside my kitchen window. I'm not sure that I can convince my children that that tree is, in fact, an orange tree, a clementine tree, until a small piece of sweet fruit falls off the branch. And actually, I would predict that they probably don't even know that it's there. They probably don't even notice the tree or care about it until there's fruit. Similarly, that's how I want my life to be. I want my life to reveal God's goodness to the people around me. I want my life to bear fruit. Well, here's the last thing. For John the Baptist, repentance began for the people that came to the Jordan with their stepping in, into the water. He says to them, I baptize you with water for repentance. And I want you this morning to notice the specific waters of repentance that John the Baptist calls God's faithful people into. It's the Jordan River. And this is not the first time that they, God's faithful people have been in the Jordan River. They stomped through those very waters on their way to the promised land. So it is if John is saying to the people that are gathered on the banks of the Jordan, Hope is ahead. The promised land is ahead for you. This river is your access. This baptism is your entrance into the good thing that God has for you. As I was driving this week, I heard an interview on the radio with a couple of musicians who offhandedly said, Well, we sing, we sing the old gospel hymns, even though the words and the music are depressing. And I thought, man, that is a bummer. That does not sound like good news at all. That sounds like bad news to me. So what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to check your entrance ramps. What are you praying? What are you singing? Where are you reflecting? What are you studying? If those things are depressing, if those things are a downer, Take a different entrance ramp into the good thing that God has for you. The biblical story tells us that for all that John the Baptist is, for all that he does right, he doesn't exactly seem to get all that Jesus has to offer. He doesn't become one of the disciples. And from 
prison, he sends a message to Jesus that says, are you really the one or should we look for someone else? Matthew tells us that when Jesus hears that John the Baptist has been put in prison, he has a response. You can look it up. It's in chapter 4. When John's voice is silenced, what Jesus says is repent. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Will you pray with me? Eternal God, you are the God of great good news. We want this day to receive all that you have for us. So clear away our distractions. Give us a clear view of what you are doing. Allow us opportunities to join into the work of realizing your dream. We believe that you want joy and contentment to be a part of our everyday. And we want what you want. We know it to be true, Lord, that when you gathered your disciples on the night before you gave yourself up for us, they knew that you wanted good things for them. You took the bread. Your son took the bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup and gave thanks to you and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood. It's a new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Almighty God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon this bread and this cup. Make them be the body and blood of Christ for us, that we may be the body of Christ redeemed by his blood for the world that surrounds us. Make us one with you, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes again in his final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Amen.